This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Good morning. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And we are excited to be here on the lovely campus of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia on a nice fall morning. Nice fall morning, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like it's okay that it actually finally feels like fall. That's one of the advantages of living in the uh, mid-Atlantic East Coast. You get get weather changes. That's good. That is good. And I am looking forward to a great show, as always, on Dollars and Change. We have a Really interesting lineup of folks. Um, Matt Stevenson, a Wharton alum. I think you actually, you've met him, right? I've met him several times, yeah. I'm very excited about having him on. Yeah, so he's, I mean, there's lots lots to love here. He has started a new program called Code to College. We'll be talking to him in the you know, just in just a couple minutes. Um, but he's also had just an interesting career path, I think, of, you know, Finding his uh, his path, probably still an evolving path since he uh, graduated from, got his right. MBA here at Wharton. Right. Yeah. So that will be great. And then uh, in the second half hour, uh, we'll be talking with Noelle St. Clair. She's coming into the studio. We always enjoy that. She's the uh, Community Development Advisor and Outreach Manager at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I think, again, you've met, Cheryl, you've, you've met sometimes with folks from the Federal Reserve yes, Bank. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I have not. And, the, and, and in fact, the uh, president of the Philly Fed, Pat Harker, used right. to be dean here at Wharton. That's right. Um, and, and it's actually interesting, and I, I'm not going to steal the thunder from Noel, but they, they're doing a this lot This is on, a teaser. You're not stealing uh, thunder. Ah, uh, right. They're doing a lot on, on financial inclusion and inclusion, inclusive economies. And so it's, I think it's um, not what I would have thought. The Philly that a Fed would do. I mean, right. you always think about them doing something with money in banks, but not real world stuff. And so she'll be able to talk about how they're really trying to to um, bring their knowledge into the world. Right, right. It's actually kind of an interesting segue from Noel, who will be with us at nine Eastern, uh, to our uh, last guest of the morning, Heath Shackelford, who's coming in at nine thirty. He's the founder of Good Must Grow. Uh, and advises companies and nonprofits on marketing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, marketing, branding, and emphasizing their social mission. So I think we're suggesting that the Federal Reserve Bank has a social <laughs> mission that, you know, that folks does. may not know about. Well, and that's the thing that I think that um, it's it's a trend we're seeing that more and more places, even those you don't think of, are are taking on a social mission, and yeah. they're doing it with. You know, varying levels of authenticity and integration, but right. it's it's not that rare anymore that you've got people saying, I want to do good as well as make right. money. Right, right. Now you're making me think about research ideas, because which we often do when we're here and at Wharton, we're thinking about, you know, there's such a need for, for research in this field to really, you know, understand impact investing, understand how companies actually create value. And listening to you and thinking about the Federal Reserve and also us at Wharton, it occurs to me that when you have a brand that has a lot of credibility, rigor, and it's not the usual suspect for right. social impact, right? and you can show that social impact is, an, is, is authentic, your social mission is authentic, 
that's very powerful. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. you know, if you can't somehow convey that this is, you know, like, no, we're serious about this impact thing. Right. Then it just looks like, you know, window dressing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So we got to test that idea, but that's my new idea. All right. Let's, and the, well, then yeah. our last segment is oh, our yes, open of course. segment. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so we'll, we'll invite callers to come in and talk about the show or ideas that they have or just things that they've heard. And uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some things going on. Yeah, with, with, us. with us. So, well, yeah. So, a, a reminder that we always love hearing from our listeners. Uh, the, the last half hour, which will be at nine thirty Eastern, is a great time to call us. But call us anytime. We'd love to hear from you. We're at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And you can also email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. So let's get started. Where our first guest, as I, I said, is Matt Stevenson, executive director and co-founder of Code to College. Matt, welcome to the program. Hi, Catherine and Cheryl. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you could make it. Yeah, I wish I could make it in person. We would love that. <laughs> we would love that. It's good, you know, you need to get back to campus. I do. Um, so your name, Code to College, the program that you have created, um, s- tells listeners a lot. It's a pretty transparent name, tells you a lot about the, the vision there. But but let's have you start by explaining, you know, what is Code to College and maybe why Code to College? Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Why don't I start with the why? So um, we always hear from companies and, you know, uh, I think publicly and in my own experience about this tech talent demand gap that companies just cannot find technical talent. And um, oftentimes they have to look offshore and import um, technical resources and talent. Um, Yet at the same time, we see amongst underrepresented groups. So underrepresented students of color, um, women, and low-income students, uh, attrition within these technical fields. So, you know, just some statistics, um, more than half of low-income students and women, they actually either leave technical fields for liberal arts majors or um, drop out of college altogether. For Hispanic students, that number is about two-thirds, and for black students, that's about Three quarters, mm-hmm. and so um, right here we've got both a, a supply and a demand issue, and we really launched Code to College last year to address these two problems. Um, and so this is I, I call it the the business case for diversity. You hear that a lot, but I mean we have the need, and with a modicum of support from the the corporate sector, we can we can actually meet this need. And so my wife and I we launched Code to College last year. And our mission is to dramatically increase the number of traditionally underserved and underrepresented students who pursue technical majors and fields. And in our program model, we actually source volunteers from companies like Google, Facebook, General Motors, National Instruments. Um, We've got about 30-plus corporate partners that we source volunteers from. And they teach high school students how to code after school. So students uh, sit for about 60 hours over the course of a school year learning this year um, a number of data science technologies, so Python, SQL, and R. Um, It's contextual, so we actually source data from some of our internship host partners as well as um, projects. And so students are working on projects that uh, align with the same type of work that they would be doing over the summer for the companies. Uh, We complement those technical skills that the students uh, are building during the week with monthly professional skills workshops. Um, We meet at 
uh, different corporate partners. Uh, we actually, this past Saturday, were at Retail Me Not. Uh, next month, we'll be at Silicon Labs, a semiconductor company, and we focus on two things. First, we're building some professional skills. So it could be executive skills like um, how to conduct an informational interview. It could be how to deliver an elevator pitch or even technical interview prep. Um, and then we also focus on exposing students to these various careers and industries. So we did a mobile app design and development competition when we were at Retail Me Not. We'll be doing a, um, a semiconductor processing um, uh, case study when we're at Scilabs next month. And so the focus of it is to really uh, immerse these students in these careers and expose them to careers that they probably wouldn't have heard of otherwise until they were full-time employees, if ever. So this isn't uh, integrated into the, the school at all. This is absolutely outside of, of school hours and school um, programs. All, mm-hmm. all of this is after school. Yep. It's um, so Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering, what is this interesting program I'm hearing about? Uh, it's Code to College, and we're talking with Matt Stevenson, executive director and co-founder. Um, Matt, as I'm listening to this, to your description uh, I'm really struck by how many elements you're sort of mm-hmm. you're hitting, right? You've you've got the you're bringing students and you're giving them the, this technical training. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've just been taking classes on R myself. It's like I think I got to come to code nice. to college. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what R was. Um, <laughs> no Python. <laughs> um, so uh, you know you, you've got the technical training. I love that you also you know mentoring and exposure to to these businesses. That's so important for these kids. You're also training them in professional skills that's you know it feels like a this is a good you know a nicely thought through package it seems to me with you know we you know, you've you've avoided this the uh, it appears the kind of silver bullet problem of well we'll just do this and it'll work yeah. Yeah, and I think the other thing, and, and Matt, maybe you can talk about this a little bit more, but I mean, I think there's a sense by connecting with corporations, it becomes real life and not just classroom. And I, I know even at our yeah. MBA and undergrad level, when they're able to take what they're learning and apply it to a problem for sure. a client or work with some adult, some other person, it's just a different experience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I'm trying to hold back from saying, but wait, there's more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you the, failed. The final component um, after, you know, all of the technical uh, education and the career exposure is that the the top 15% of students are then placed into um, paid summer internships. Oh, wow. And nice. then the that is more. And then the 35% are working as contractors for us, still in paid roles, uh, building websites. Oh, that's so, fabulous. So to your point about, you know, this is like real practical experience, you know, that paid summer experience is really the culmination of all that. Right. So this is a uh, Code to College is a program for high school students. What, uh, when are you getting these kids? Yeah, so um, we work with students starting with uh, 10th graders just so that they have one year of high school under their belt and build a little bit of maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, but we partner directly with high schools. Um, we launched in the Austin area last year with two schools and 30 students, um, but we've grown uh, by 4X, and we're now partnered with six schools in three districts and serving 120 students. Wow. Um, but, yeah, we, we partner directly with the high schools so that with respect to the after-school sessions, students literally, they leave class, grab their stuff from their locker, and can head to the computer lab. Nice. So, uh, Matt, you know, you're at this, uh, when, you're, when a program is as young as yours, 
the learning curve is steep, right? You're, there's a lot to be learned in the first year. And especially since it's not like he came out of a, a you know, a long nonprofit background. Yeah, right. Uh, well, so we'll talk about your background in a moment. But I am really curious about, you know, some of the things you think you learned in the in year one. What worked as what worked as expected? What didn't work? Like, what made you think, ah, oh, you know, we're gonna have to tweak that? Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of learnings. <laughs> um, it was, I, I mean, I will say that I was really um, excited about uh, the first year in terms of the students' excitement, in terms of the questions that they asked. I will say, um, while my learning curve was steep, it felt like theirs was not. And it really, um, one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that for these students, it's really about exposure. It's you know they don't necessarily have to wait until their college to be exposed to these technologies or experiences, but you know they're hungry and they're ready, and um, it's really about um, giving them the access to these challenges. Um, I will also say one of the big lessons was data is king, mm -hmm. and collecting data is the only way that I've been able to refine the program. Um, you know, and, and that's with respect to observational data for these volunteers who, I mean, they're not teachers by trade. They're software engineers and developers. And so, you know, in my background, um, I actually, uh, I taught after Wharton. And so I developed some of those instructional coaching skills. And that's another level of data that is, is so key when you're using volunteer uh, instructional talent. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? What kind of data are you talking about explicitly? Yeah, sure. So um, so there are some guidelines that we provide for our volunteers. Uh, again, you know, we're not expecting them to be teachers of record, but for instance, um, how long are you speaking? Um, that seems really basic, but the average student, uh, high school student, has an attention span of about seven minutes. So we say that they cannot speak or they should not be speaking for longer than seven minutes um, for the entire 60-minute class period. In addition to that, they should not be um, speaking for 60 seconds or a minute uh, without asking a question, again, to ensure that we've got that engagement. And so that type of feedback uh -huh. for, for a volunteer, you know what? There were five instances where um, you spoke for longer than a minute or you ran over by 2x in terms of those seven, that seven-minute guideline, giving that specific feedback helps them to improve way faster than if I just said, you talk too much. <laughs> you know, I, lo I, I love that. I, have, I love that. I have to ask a question, and then I'm just kind of chuckling to myself. I'll explain why in a moment. But um, so are you, are you, do you have observers in the classroom? Do you video record these classrooms? How do you know? Yeah, yeah. So last year when we were just at two schools, I was in uh, probably 99% of the classes. Um, if I had to miss, it was for something else Code to College related. But now that we're in six schools, um, what we've done is we've actually contracted with each school to have a teacher of record um, that's based at that school serve as an instructional coach. So every school has someone there who's doing that level of coaching and and typically it's a seasoned teacher so they're used to that instructional coaching um, expertise yeah and and the, and the reason I'm chuckling to myself is I had a meeting earlier this week with a student you know who I work with fairly regularly in a variety of ways and this student who shall remain nameless just talks <laughs> long <laughs> and I hit that seven minute mark or maybe it was the 12 minute mark of like 
I can't listen to you anymore. <laughs> and I and I you know and I did give the student this feed some variation of the feedback. But man, if I had been able to say, you know that you know the one minute rule and the seven minute rule, mm-hmm. you know. I need you to adhere, adhere to that because <laughs> I've tuned out. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that would that would be good. So very interesting. Um, and uh, so we were. I think we pulled you. You said that data is king. That was an important lesson. Were there other lessons that we should uh, get back to as you think about, you know, the first year, the growth you're experiencing? Yeah, with respect to, <clears throat> I can speak uh, with respect to students, and then I can speak to um, just organizationally. Um, Students, this is something I, I learned um, while I was teaching, but having a relationship with parents is also important mm. and making sure that they're partners um, is important. Um, we had one student, um, low-income Hispanic female, was, um, we were told by administrators that, you know, her attendance was poor, that her academic performance was poor, yet um, last year they started to see, to see an uptick because she knew that she had to go to school if she wanted to go to go to college. Um, And so that was really encouraging, but she ended up missing um, probably our our most beneficial workshop, which was our technical interview prep. And I found out through the grapevine that it was because um, she had to get her sister ready for prom. And so, you know, I don't know if her parents knew the level of work that we were doing that they still would have made that decision, but... I kind of made a commitment to myself to ensure that parents were better informed about the program. And so, you know, with one of the schools, and we'll be doing this with other schools, just having an open house and letting parents ask um, as many questions as they have, making sure that they're clear about, look, the top half of students, they get a paid summer internship or or paid summer experience. And so um, if you're concerned about them at home, not having a job over the summer, then they should be coming to class every class. Um, so, Matt, and, how do you, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you said you had 30 students and now you went up to 120. Mm-hmm. How are you identifying it? Is it is it teacher recommendation? Are they applying for themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's all um, a live application that, that, goes, um, that goes live in the first few weeks of school. Um, it is a basic Google form, but there are four questions that we ask um, none of them have to do with GPA because we want to reach some of those students who right. this might otherwise not be accessible to, but they all have to do with persistence in the program. You know, um, whether or not when things get difficult, whether you'll stick it out. You know, uh, uh, I couldn't hear whether it was Catherine or Cheryl who's taking an R class right now. That's Catherine. Yeah. But, <laughs> Catherine, okay. But it may not be intuitive. And, yeah, I mean, that's 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 part and parcel with with development and and technical fields, but that doesn't mean that you can't do it. Right. So we're trying to identify those students who... Thank you for that encouragement. I might need it. (laughs) You can do it. You can talk to one of his kids. (laughs) That's good. I would love that. Um, So, so Matt, you have... um, Tell us a little bit, maybe turn the clock back and tell us uh, you know how you went from now. I'm not. I'm not remembering what year you got your MBA at Wharton, but 2011. 2011. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is six years ago. Um, you know, you and and the path. What was your What was your path? What did you do after? Uh, you know, what did you do after Wharton? And how and when did this epiphany come that like I'm I'm creating this thing? You know, or you and your wife are creating this thing? Yeah. Code, code so, to college. Um, if I could go slightly before that, um, my background is in is in banking, 
So I started out at Goldman, loved the work, but really wanted to focus on education and ended up working for this nonprofit uh, called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they do a number of things, but the program that I worked for placed undergraduate students of color into um, front office roles at banks and other companies. And so that was really the impetus for me of like, wow, this is incredible. I'm seeing what access um, mm-hmm. and opportunity means for students who are coming from super off-target schools. How can we bring this to the K-12 space? And so went to Wharton, um, then tried to break into the K-12 space, which was really difficult. And so I, um, I ended up teaching. Um, I was, became a high school math teacher in New Haven, Connecticut, at a predominantly uh, low-income stu- uh, school. And um, that was, that was a, a life-changing experience for me. Um, it was humbling because at the time I thought to myself, I just graduated from Wharton, but I'm a teacher, so what's, <laughs> do I have any idea what I'm doing right now? And it was actually probably the, one of the best professional experiences I had because it has taught me so much about everything that I'm doing right now and everything else I've done professionally. Yeah, it's, uh, that is great, and uh, you know what a what a what commitment and uh, you know tenacity you showed to break through and and uh, um, you know and and take that path. Yeah, take that path. Take that path. Uh, you know, I, as you're telling the story, I'm having the feeling that I met you early on. That I met you in New York at a, at an event, a Wharton event, yeah. where you were where you were heading. You know, you were either heading off or you had done this. This year in, in New Haven. Uh, yeah, actually, so it's, it's funny you should mention that. Um, this is one of the many ways I, I gained support in, in this trajectory from Wharton is the Benheim Loan Forgiveness Fund. Um, I was a recipient for, for several years, and I think that's when we met. Yeah, um, that's what I, I, that's yeah. What I thought. I, that's what I thought. As it was all coming back to me. That is awesome. And we love – so we'll give a little quick play, pay, play here for the, the Bentheim Loan Forgiveness Program because this is a great – you know, it's a great program uh, with a really the, – the Bentheim family has been super generous in providing support for – People like you to take, you know, to take a leap and say, uh, "Well, maybe I won't do the the traditional banking consulting banking consulting path." And I, you know, but I might, but I need, might need a little financial help to, with my loans mm-hmm. uh, to allow me to take a nonprofit or a public sector uh, um, to take a public sector role. So look at what you've done. That's, yeah. we're, we're really and we've got that path. Yeah, we've got great recipients in that program, so it's it's delightful to have Matt yeah. included in there. Yeah, absolutely. So all right, so you did the teaching thing. It was humbling. And, yeah, it as it often is, is, right? A great experience, yep. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then how did you go from, okay, I'm ready to do this program? Well, so um, in the interim, I, I had another role um, working with an education organization that invested in um, charter management organizations and schools, and that actually launched me into uh, my next role here in Austin, Texas. Um, where I was the director of finance for a school district, and that then plugged me in completely to the Austin education scene. And literally two or three months after I got here, my wife and I looked around and we said, this, this is it. You've got all of these corporate resources. We've got um, you know, every tech company you can think of. Uh, last count, they said there are about 5,000 tech companies well, here, ranging from startups sure. to yeah. right. the big names. And yet all of these underserved students and we can start making a change here. And so that's what we started to do, started to leverage my network, get a few introductions to companies, um, 
You know, Indeed was our very first internship host partner since then. We've added Q2 eBanking, um, BuildFax, which is a property data company, and um, got something really exciting to announce about Whole Foods and our partnership um, in, the, in the early years. So, so yeah. We're, you we're, can, we're you can announce that now, but I'm <laughs> guessing you're saying you're not ready to announce that soon. Not ready. <laughs> not not so ready. We will, we will note that Whole Foods is now owned by Amazon, which, you know, yes. if there was any question about the need for coding in, in Whole Foods, there shouldn't be any, any more. Yeah, yeah, it's a, not just a grocery store. So, Matt, the, uh, the question we often ask, and especially ask with people with a, a business background, is what's your revenue model? How are you paying for this? That's an excellent question. So um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, um, obviously, and so, uh, or the obviously part is we definitely accept tax-deductible no- donations. So, yep. <laughs> if anyone, so if you're uh, inspired, <laughs> that. But we, we do actually have an earned revenue model. Ah. And so in our model, um, for every intern that we place, they are paid um, by the companies. So they earn a wage of $15 an hour. Um, but in addition to that, we have a sustainability fee that we assess, um, and that helps us, you know, mitigate our operational expenses. And, you know, so far, every company that I've spoken to, it seems like we're leaving money on the table because they, they happily accept that rate. So, you know, our, our big rock right now is getting, the, getting to the right person. Um, you know, once you speak to a senior executive at any of these companies, Typically, they just get it. Sure. sure. And once yeah. they say yes, it's cake from there. Um, but it's getting those introductions. So I would say if anyone's listening and you this resonates with you, feel free to reach out and put me in touch um, because we're growing, but we, we definitely need that help. Yeah. Well, we're talk- we'll, we'll remind folks. We're, <laughs> we're talking with Matt Stevenson, uh, executive director and co-founder of Code to College. And uh, right now you're just in Austin, right? But at some point you'll take over the country. That is absolutely right. So okay. um, right now, as we continue to refine the model, um, next year will be our last year in Austin only. After that, we plan to scale uh, so statewide Philly? in Texas to Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. And then the year after that, the plan is to, by 2020, launch um, in other states with a state uh, operating, uh, excuse me, statewide implementation model. <laughs> that sounds great. We're looking. I, we haven't yet heard Philadelphia on that list, but at some point we hope to do that. So, Matt, you know, one of the things I you had said that once you get the introduction to the um, senior leader, senior level folks, that it's, it's cake, and mm-hmm. I, I can absolutely understand that. I mean, you you opened the discussion by talking about the business case for diversity, and so we you know we know that not only are employee, uh, employers looking for uh, employees who can. <laughs> do these technical skills, who have some sort of training, they're also looking to make sure that they have a, a diverse in, of workforce reflective of the community. And so mm-hmm. it seems to me absolutely right. You're really solving a problem for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, that's typically what they've seen. And what's nice is, depending on who, you know, I have to tailor the message depending on who I speak to. Some people, the diversity uh, and inclusion aspect resonates with them. For some, it's about, look, we just need the talent. Mm-hmm. Others, they, they really are committed to working with youth in the community. So um, just finding out what they care about. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I can really see that for a company that wants I mean, you're presenting a nice win-win here for a company that is thinking, I want to make a difference. I could, you know, we need employees. We're serious about coding. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's an opportunity for 
employees in the company to volunteer. That can be attractive. And to learn not to speak too long. <laughs> and to learn not to speak too long. That can be important for their professional Absolutely. development. Um, yeah, I can. I mean, I can really see how this works. And I love the, um, you know, the psychological mechanism that you're tapping into, Matt, of having once I'm volunteering teaching these kids. Mm-hmm. I'm really invested in these kids. Yeah. And if I, you know, and if they're not good enough to come to my company, what does that say about me? You know, right? As a teacher. So, you know, there's some there's a the the psychological pressures are uh, and incentives are are nicely aligned here. That's right. Yeah. I'd love to just share one quick story with We'd you, a student that we worked with. So, um there was a young lady, um Hispanic, uh female, single parent, um low income background, um was just really hungry about working with us. Um, she applied last year. She got in, attended almost every session. She blew away the senior executives that attended all of our workshops um, when we went to Facebook, when we went to Silicon Labs, just consistently impressing them with the quality of her questions and her uh, sense of urgency. She was able to win an uh, interview with Indeed and became their first ever high school intern. Wow. And she was able, I mean, this is a student, when I talk about exposure and it's all about that opportunity and access, she didn't even know um, that there was a reply all feature in email. Yeah. And I mean, she was able to knock it out, really impress them. She was in one of their most competitive groups, the labs group at Indeed, where they're, they're pumping out product, not even weekly, but almost daily to the global team. She got a return offer, and now she's applying early to uh, UT's CS program. And so, I mean, it's, it's just, it's truly life-changing. And like I said, the rock right now is just finding more companies because our supply of quality students outsizes our supply of internship host company. Well, as you can, you know, as you can hear, we're excited about what you're doing and impressed by what you're doing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling very concerned about your your growth opportunities. I think <laughs> I think you got them. I think right. I think you've got something that has really, you know, it's in quite the sweet spot and is is a really valuable program. So thanks so much for for being with us. We're going to take a break. We, break. We've been talking with Matt Stevenson, executive director and co-founder of Code to College. When we come back, we'll be talking with Noelle St. Clair, Community Development Advisor and Outreach Manager at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 